If you enjoy music's greatest mysteries, you're going to love Dan Rather's The Big Interview. That guy really digs into the truth. Check out his podcast sometime. On this episode of Music's Greatest Mysteries, disco dominates the dance floor and the airwaves, but rock and roll fans are not pleased. Disco sucks! Does a small-time DJ's publicity stunt successfully destroy disco? Then, does a glam rock legend resurrect Tina Turner's career? She was cleaning houses, playing casinos. She had nothing. And finally, is Rick Rubin's Los Angeles recording studio haunted? In the 1970s, the soaring vocals, steady beats, and rhythmic bass lines of disco dominate top 40 radio stations. There is this old wives' tale that you could hear a disco song every two seconds in America. Until a backlash leads to one of the most infamous evenings in music and baseball history. Disco Demolition Night. Disco sucks! Disco sucks! When you add frustration, beer, big crowds, and a bunch of records blowing up, you're gonna get chaos. One, two, three! And that's exactly what they got. By 1979, disco has not only entered the mainstream, but is dominating it. John Travolta in Saturday Night Fever, the Bee Gees at the top of the charts, and the energy at Studio 54 have made this niche music the most popular genre on the planet. Disco became a culture as well as a type of music. So you had the disco text, you had the big flared polyester pants, you had all of the people at Studio 54. And if you were a rock fan at the time, I'm so sorry, we don't have anything for you. Radio stations around the country were turning left and right from, you know, rock and roll to disco. So that started to build up this resentment among people who were used to turning on the radio and hearing the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, the Beach Boys. It became so popular that there were TV ads and your mom and your grandma were taking hustle lessons. That was, I think, the breaking point. A 24-year-old disc jockey named Steve Dahl reaches his breaking point during a typically frigid Chicago winter in 1978. The station he worked at was switching to disco, and they fired him on Christmas Eve. His axe to grind with disco was personal because it cost him a job. And he went over to a competing station, so he found his home and a fertile ground to spread an anti-disco message. I'd like to show you how we uh, destroy the disco records. I have to kind of get worked up a little bit. Psych job. And then I just... Oh, that felt good. He became the leader of the anti-disco movement. Now from Chicago, here's Mr. Steve Dahl, a disc jockey at WLUP-FM. Steve Dahl has this idea that he's going to have a disco demolition night. He invited everybody who also hated disco as much as he did to come to Comiskey Park. 
Steve Dahl was going to go out onto the field and use dynamite to blow up the records that all the people brought in. Comiskey Park is Major League Baseball's oldest stadium at the time and home to one of its worst teams, the Chicago White Sox. Owner Bill Veck is something of a promoter himself, and he sparks to the opportunity to fill seats at a doubleheader. Hello again, everybody. Harry Carey and Jimmy Pearsall from Comiskey Park, where we're going to have a, a wild night tonight. Fans who bring a disco record get in for 98 cents. They thought, oh, great, that's going to bring like maybe five, six, seven thousand people to the stadium. Look at that crowd out there. They filled this ballpark. Instead, 50,000 people show up, the largest crowd of the year, and security turns away thousands more. They're drunk, they're excited to watch disco records get blown up. Great night for a ball game and uh, a great night for a disco destruction, I say. Who knows what they thought was going to happen, but what actually happened was pure mayhem. Fans are already throwing records, firecrackers, and empty liquor bottles at players before the first game even ends at 8.16 p.m. He struck him out and the ball game is over. As grounds crews prepare for game two, Steve Dahl circles the field in a military jeep. Will you please welcome the Supreme Commander, Steve Dahl! He showed up to Disco Demolition Night wearing full-on like military garb, like a generalissimo in a marauding army. <laughs> disco sucks! Disco sucks! Well, listen, we took all the disco records that you brought tonight, and we're going to blow them up real good. One, two, three. And after chaos ensues in the park, and these people rush the field, they're tearing up, they rip home plate up and throw it around, people lose their mind. Coming up, Chicagoans destroy Comiskey Park, but will Disco Demolition Night destroy Disco? Did this night actually kill Disco? And later, is Tina Turner's career saved by British rock royalty? That night turned her entire life around. On July 12, 1979, 50,000 Chicagoans cheer as rock DJ Steve Dahl blows up thousands of disco records at Comiskey Park. One, two, three, four. Yeah! But what starts as an anti-disco publicity stunt quickly turns into a riot as fans storm the field. One of the saddest sights I've ever seen in a ballpark in my life. This has turned into a fiasco. That is not really about disco at this point. It is really about just a mob going crazy. This is Belbeck. Please clear the field. Police arrest nearly 40 people for disorderly conduct. Little did we know it would be the explosion heard around the world because it turned into such chaos that it made the news all over the country. While Steve Dahl shrugs off Disco Demolition Night as a publicity stunt gone awry, 
the message coming out of Chicago spreads, fueling anti-disco sentiment across the nation. Disco almost immediately disappeared from the charts after this happened. And I do think it's because this riot showed that people were sick of it. Many radio stations won't play any music associated with disco. Did this night actually kill disco? The answer is yes and no. Disco as a culture ended. But the secret is that disco came back in a different name. You cannot actually kill disco. When disco becomes a dirty word, it's rebranded as dance, and it evolves into some of the most popular genres of music around the globe. It's sort of the phoenix rising from the ashes. Disco became, you know, all the genres that we know today as electronic music. So in a lot of ways, disco is still the biggest genre <laughs> in the world. Tina Turner, the queen of rock and roll, an American icon. As a little girl watching Tina Turner, she was the queen, the queen. She had the moves, she had the look, she had the energy, she had the talent. She was amazing. But there is a time just after her brutal divorce from Ike Turner when Tina is broke and her career seems over. That is until a small performance at a New York City nightclub changes everything. That night, in a matter of hours, turned her entire life around. What happens? And what other music superstar might have saved Tina Turner's career? Anna Mae Bullock bursts on the scene in 1959 as a 17-year-old with the Ike Turner Review, performing live shows under the stage name Tina Turner. Ike and Tina Turner were a huge deal. It was Ike's band. Ike had built that reputation before Tina came along. She took it to the next level. Tina Turner's vocals are off the hook. Their version of Proud Mary, for instance, becomes this massive success. You can picture Tina Turner in that fringy dress shaking around because she was so good. It's one of those classic images of rock and roll. Ike and Tina marry in 1962 and blend their family of four children, but the relationship sours. Ike physically abused her, he sexually abused her, he withheld her money, he was a tyrant. She finally gets the courage to get out of it, gets a divorce, and she leaves with her name and two Jaguars. Like, that's it. Tina Turner gave up all of her fame, she gave up Everything that she had created, the only thing that she was able to retain was the right to call herself Tina Turner. Turner's divorce becomes final in 1978, and she takes on the responsibility of raising four children on her own, while Ike continues to stalk and threaten her. She has no money. She was cleaning houses, playing casinos, whatever she could do to make money for her kids, she was going to do it. She was basically seen as like a has-been act, as somebody you could go see for a couple of dollars playing at a nightclub singing songs from the 60s. But it all really changed for her in 1983. Tina Turner's fortunes change at a January 1983 show in a New York City nightclub called The Ritz. 
That show happened to be the same night that David Bowie's record release party was taking place for Let's Dance. And David didn't want to go to his own record release party. And David's like, yeah, no, dudes, uh, I'm going to go see my favorite singer of all time. And so they were, who's your favorite singer? And he told him Tina Turner. Something clicks in the minds of the music industry that if one of the most important rock stars is willing to skip his own release party to go see her, we need to be paying attention to her. The word spread like wildfire. They were clamoring for tickets for her show that night. Record company executives skipped out on David's party too so they could go to watch Tina Turner play. Coming up, Bowie shines a spotlight on Turner. But is it enough? This is someone who was so down. She had everything taken away, and then something like that happens. That's incredible. And then, is producer Rick Rubin's Laurel Canyon mansion haunted? The drummer refused to stay in the house. Either those guys were on some great drugs, or this place is, in fact, haunted. In 1983, Tina Turner is struggling as a solo artist when David Bowie and a crowd of music executives pack a small New York club to see her perform. The show is packed. Bowie is there. All the record label executives had all been clamoring, trying to get in to make sure they saw it. The show is incredible, of course. David Bowie goes backstage afterwards. He's got Keith Richards with him. OK, let's go back to my hotel suite. So they all go. They party until 7 o'clock in the morning. And the next day, Tina Turner's got five record deal offers after that nightclub appearance. One year later, in 1984, Turner releases her comeback album, Private Dancer. The album Private Dancer, of course, has the song What's Love Got To Do With It, one of the greatest hits of the 80s. She is one of the biggest comeback success stories in the history of rock music. She wins Grammys. She is all over the place. And people are obsessed with her. You want to talk about whirlwind? This is someone who was so down because of an abusive relationship. She had everything taken away. And then everything turns around. It's not just that she's a brilliant artist, which she is. It's that she overcame so much. Private Dancer goes on to sell 10 million copies worldwide, and Turner packs stadiums around the globe. A startling turn from just a few years earlier when she was a struggling single mom forced to clean homes. But how much can we credit David Bowie for her resurgence? Did David Bowie resurrect Tina Turner's career? He sure did. He has been credited with giving her her Cinderella moment. And she's discussed the fact that David Bowie is the person who put eyes back on her. In the heart of LA lies 2451 Laurel Canyon Boulevard, known simply as the mansion. For a century, jealousy, murder, and magic are woven into the mansion's legend. 
Then in 1991, producer Rick Rubin transforms it into a music studio. And almost immediately, bands who record there come face to face with the supernatural. You say that you're gonna go record an album with Rick Rubin, of course it's gonna be haunted. It's a package deal. The dark history of 2451 Laurel Canyon Boulevard begins long before Rubin sets up his studio. There's so many famous names and really notorious things that have supposedly happened in this property. One of the most mysterious figures in American history, Houdini. Houdini spent several months in a nearby cottage on the property while filming a movie in 1919. Rumors are that after his death, Houdini's wife moves back to the property and tries to get in touch with his spirit through a seance. If there was anybody would have understood how to channel that in death, you'd have to assume Houdini would be at the top of the list. But Houdini's spirit won't be the only ghost to haunt the mansion for long. The legend is there was a wealthy family that lived in the house, and there was a party. There's a young man and his lover, and they got in an argument, and he pushed him off the balcony. His father used his money and influence to make sure that he got out of jail. Tragic events, they linger. There's some kind of energy trapped there. After a fire destroys the original building, the mansion, as we know it, is built in the 1960s, right as Laurel Canyon is becoming a hotbed for a musical renaissance. It was a funky place with a lot of old houses that you could get really cheap. Frank Zappa and a lot of 60s artists nestled in the hills. They always talk about that area being the epicenter of you know, music, but there's tons of accounts of supernatural activity. Underneath these homes are these tunnels that connect the properties, just very bizarre. You do have this palpable feeling of there being something extraordinary around there. In 1991, Ruben buys the property and creates his studio. One of the first bands to record there? The Red Hot Chili Peppers for their seminal album, Blood, Sugar, Sex, Magic. They soon find that they inadvertently conjure up the mansion's dark past. Under the studio, you have tunnels. You have Houdini used to live next door. Is it haunted? Is it not? I think it's definitely a possibility. Coming up, the spirits of the mansion torment Rick Rubin and the Red Hot Chili Peppers. John Frusciante, he heard moans coming from a female ghost. Tales of the supernatural have surrounded 2451 Laurel Canyon Boulevard for over a century. When Rick Rubin brings the Red Hot Chili Peppers to the mansion to record their next album, those tales become reality. They would have tubes on a guitar, suddenly just start messing around with themselves, basically. Why are they doing this? John Frusciante, he heard moans coming from a female ghost, sexual moans. Chad Smith, the drummer, refused to stay in the house because they had so many strange occurrences in the studio. Chad is scared to sleep here and has not spent one night here. The Chili Peppers get another surprise when they pose for a picture on the estate. You look at the Red Hot Chili Peppers artwork on Blood Sugar Sex Magic, there is an orb in the photo that they didn't notice until they actually printed it up. 
That's one of those photos that you look at and you're like, there's not really any other explanation for this. Following the Chili Peppers' success, the mansion becomes an A-list recording studio, as artists like Jay-Z, Linkin Park, and Marilyn Manson all record there, hoping to channel those same creative spirits. I would think that there was a combination of Rick Rubin's dominant spirit of his vision combined with the natural strangeness of this property and the history. I would think you'd want to invite that and, and feel that vibe and, and try to take some of that energy and put it into the music. Musicians are weird people. So I think that we're already interested in the paranormal. Is the mansion haunted? Yeah, I think it is. Either those guys were on some great drugs or this place is in fact haunted. In 2014, Ruben sells the mansion to director Mark Romanek and his wife Bridget, a designer who renovates the property. Time will tell if the spirits of 2451 Laurel Canyon Boulevard remain. A haunted house that inspires musicians' best work. A glam rocker who helps another legend get back on her feet. And a disc jockey who unleashes a disco meltdown. The surprising twists and turns behind our most cherished albums and songs. They're all part of music's greatest mysteries. Thank you for joining us for Music's Greatest Mysteries, where we investigate the legendary mysteries surrounding the biggest names in music. Now remember, if you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Also, go ahead and leave us a review and don't keep the show a secret. Tell a friend. <laughs>